T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studio, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. This is Chicago's number one and most listened to sports station. 670 The Score is Chicago Sports. Chicago Sports is The Score. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. And Odyssey Station. The Score! Ron, I've had this note here for a couple of days. Haven't had a chance to acknowledge it, but... uh... The Cubs a few days ago named their minor league players and pitchers of the month mm-hmm. for April. But the name of Pete Crow Armstrong. Yeah. Now you and I saw him in a Cactus League game. In fact it was the Cubs against the Dodgers over at Camelback Ranch about a month and a half ago two months ago I guess now it was back in March. And uh, we were impressed. I, I know I was. I liked his at bats. He looked like he had a good quick bat. He went the opposite way. Wow. He was alert on the bases. He made a nice defensive play. Uh, he was part of the trade that sent Javier Baez to the Mets last August. Right. Pete Crow Armstrong came the other way, and he was just named the organization's minor league player of the month for April. Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer singing the praises of, indeed, Pete Crow Armstrong, the 20-year-old center field prospect playing for Myrtle Beach, which is the low-A Carolina League. And I'm Mark Grody. We welcome you back into Hit and Run here on Mother's Day on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, Matt Spiegel, has the day off today. And, yeah, the Cubs acquired him from the Mets in the, the Javier Baez deal last year and uh, I am interested in all of the hall of players that the Cubs got at the trade deadline last year not only for Javier Baez but also for Chris Bryant and for Anthony Rizzo we're going to get into that here in just a second the White Sox game in Boston in the second inning still no score there Dallas Keuchel got himself in a bit of a jam early but managed to wiggle out of it so all is cool on the Dallas Keuchel front with the the White Sox starting very early today. 10.30 start for that NBC5 slash Peacock game. But let's let's talk about the Chicago Cubs prospects as we bring in right now Kyle Glazer of Baseball America. And a lot of his focus is on Major League Baseball's top prospects, including Pete Crow Armstrong. Good morning, Kyle. Thanks for coming on with us today, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely, and and recently you wrote some some great stuff about Pete Crow Armstrong. We know has been hitting well and fielding well. What have you learned from watching and and talking to Pete Crow Armstrong, the player? 
just how good he is. This is someone who, when the Cubs made all their trades at the deadline last year, we knew he was the best player they acquired. He had played for Team USA's junior national team since he was 12. He was one of the best players in Southern California, which, as you know, is, is for my money, the best amateur talent base in the country. He was a first-round pick, and he was always someone that people knew was talented. Um, but knowing something kind of in the abstract, and I had seen him in high school, uh, but seeing him again at Myrtle Beach, just how he's come back from the injury, he's bigger, he's stronger, all his skills have gotten refined and are just that much better. He's always been an exceptional defender in center field, and that remains true, but he's gotten bigger, he's gotten stronger, he's starting to hit the ball harder without sacrificing the ability to hit for average without sacrificing his approach. Before, was this is a great defender who you wondered how much impact there was going to be in the bat. Now there's no question about the impact in the bat. He's looking like a guy who can impact the game every way you could possibly do so. So since he has started to, to hit Kyle, is it now unfair to make the comparison of him to Albert Elmore Jr.? Because I've seen that. He's a much better hitter than Albert Almora Jr. is. Um, this is someone who just has such an advanced approach for his age. That's what really stands out. You watch him, he'll get down 0-2. A lot of 20-year-olds, they kind of panic. They start to expand the zone. Not him. He has such a sharp eye for the zone. It's a calm, confident approach. It's a beautiful swing. There's still a lot of ground ball contacts, but you're starting to see him get the ball in the air more and really drive it. Uh, he has a much, much, much more potent bat than Albert Almora Jr. did, even as a prospect. That's good to hear, and it will take the defense as well from, from Pete Curl Armstrong. We're talking to Kyle Glazer of Baseball America. I'm Mark Grody. Um, it, I, I saw, too, that – and I don't know if this means a darn thing that, – that both of his parents are actors. Does he, does he talk about that, and is he, in turn, an interesting, dramatic kind of kid as well? Not at all. He's actually very low-key, very chill. You wouldn't know he grew up in kind of the shadow of Hollywood. He went to a high school that uh, is known for having the sons of a lot of famous people. Um, but no, he's a really down-to-earth guy who's a really hard worker. He's really coachable. And that's what stands out about him is, yes, he comes from you know the spotlight of Hollywood. He's been kind of famous, if you will, since he was 12 years old. But you never know a talk of him. This is a really down-to-earth kid who works really, really hard. His coaches rave about how he takes instruction. There's no false flash there. I mean, he plays hard. He's a good teammate. He really checks all the boxes you'd want makeup-wise. Kevin Alcantara, as we move on from Pete Crow Armstrong, a 19-year-old outfield prospect playing also for, for Myrtle Beach, came to the Cubs in the Anthony Rizzo deal at the trade deadline to, to the Yankees. Tell us about Kevin Alcantara. Yeah, he, he's a guy you really kind of have to dream on. So he's a very tall, lanky teenager. You know, kind of, it looks a lot like what you see with some of the, the high school basketball players out there where, you know, tall, lanky, really fast. You see the athleticism, but he still has to grow into his limbs a little bit. Um, the swing's not super coordinated right now. The timing, the balance, it's just all kind of not quite there yet. His swing gets very long at times. He was more raw than I expected going out and watching him for a few days at Myrtle Beach. So this is a very, very long-term play, very, very long-term projection. You can see the ingredients for if everything clicks and, you know, he just kind of grows into his long limbs. Then you start to see raw power and athleticism. Um, but it, it's going to take a while. This is a very, very young kid. So as I mentioned, still a teenager. who's still kind of growing into his body. Yeah, you have him, if I'm not mistaken, you have him as number seven on the Cubs' top ten prospects. 
Um, and uh, while we were talking about Pete Crow Armstrong, you have him at, at number five. Another guy uh, on your top ten at number eight was of the Chris Bryant deal, and that's Caleb Killian, the right-handed pitcher who is pitching for Triple A Iowa, again acquired from San Fran in the KB deal. Is is somebody like Killian? Is he is he close to getting to the Cubs' real roster? You think? Absolutely. With the way he started over at Iowa, this is someone who's just super, super polished. But he also has stuff. It's not like this is a soft tosser who relies on deception. Um, going out and seeing him in the Arizona Fall League last year, I watched him throw six perfect innings in the championship game to help his team win it. I mean, it's a fastball that definitely will get up into the mid-90s. He has a really good feel for moving the ball around the zone. The secondaries are all there. You can kind of manipulate his fastball, cut it, run it, sink it, keep batters guessing. It's real stuff. It's real movement. It's real command. It's real poise. Uh, this has a chance to be someone who, who impacts the Cubs rotation in a big way, and I think it will happen pretty shortly. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. Yeah, six four one eighty, and it's been a while, um, Kyle. That since the Cubs have had you know actual homegrown, legitimate starting pitching. So I know a lot of Cubs fans are, are waiting for that. The the other, the name that I know Cubs fans know, and they and you know I know a lot of Cubs fans probably knew the names that we were just discussing, but I'm positive that Cubs fans know the name Brennan Davis, the the 22 year old outfield prospect also playing for AAA Iowa. He is number one on your list of the Cubs' top ten prospects, which you write on Baseball America. How's Brennan Davis doing? Got off to a bit of a slow start. You have to keep in mind it's still pretty cold in Iowa and a lot of the Midwest, and it's not uncommon to see a lot of hitters get off to slow starts here in April. So I kind of want to see the weather warm up a little bit. Again, a really, really good athlete. You see the raw power. Um, There's just still some things to refine in terms of contact. He struggles a little bit against lefties. It's interesting as a right-handed batter, but he's actually better against same-side pitching than he is lefties. So um, there's still some things to work on. Again, this is a very young kid, very athletic. He's he's moved pretty quickly. He got to AAA with only about 150 career minor league games. So, you know, he still has some things he needs to refine. There's still some things that need to be improved. But, um, again, I wouldn't panic over a slow start in April. It's just cold. A lot of guys are going through (laughs) it. Look for him him to warm up here as, as the weather does. Yeah, Cubs and Sox at the big league level are going through the same thing. It's not fun to hit for anybody. It hurts and it stings. And the, I would be surprised if if Brennan Davis did not make the Cubs roster at some point in time this season. Do you think that that is the projection for him? Yeah, that's been the pretty steady projection that at some point this summer, again, he was never going to be their opening day you know, outfielder. Uh, he was never going to really even be a guy that was a quick, quick call-up, or at least would have been a surprise. The projection was always give him a couple months, two, three months in AAA, because he was only there for a very brief time at the end of last year. And maybe by June, July, depending on how he's progressing, that's when we'll see him. It could be August again. Some of it depends on him and and any injuries that take place in the Cubs outfield or any trades that happen but I think it'll be sometime this year it'll just be more toward the summer than the spring what's his power projection at the big league level you know it keeps ticking up it's one of those things where he's he's got kind of this natural leverage and, and he's stronger than he gets credit for he's not you know this big bulky dude again he's a basketball player it's more of a basketball build but there's some wiry strength in there with leverage. There are people who believe there's 25 to 30 home run power in there. 
again, it's just a matter of the consistency of contact. Because again, you have to make contact consistently to get to your power consistently. Um, but the raw power is in there for 25 to 30 home runs. Two more guys I want to ask you about. We're talking to Kyle Glazer of Baseball America. I'm Mark Rohde on hit and run on the score. And this one is of particular interest to Chicagoans because he is from here, and that is Ed Howard, the 20-year-old shortstop uh, prospect who was the 16th pick in 2020. What's going on with Ed? Yeah, he's a great defender. Again, there's never been any question about his ability to play shortstop. And when he's moved around a little bit, too, he's played a pretty good second base, but um, he's really, really, really struggled to hit. It was very, very, very surprising to see the Cubs move from from low A Myrtle Beach to high South Bend this year. Um, he was very, very far behind as a hitter at the low A level, and he's even further behind as a hitter at the high A level. Um, I wish I could tell you there's a lot of faith he's going to hit enough to reach the major leagues. That faith does not currently exist anywhere outside of the Cubs organization. Um, he's very, very young. There's still a lot of work to do, and I'm not going to sit here and say – it will never happen. We see guys make adjustments and have something click, you know, fairly frequently. Um, but but there's a lot of questions about whether he's going to hit enough. And, and right now, he just has to kind of prove it. Last guy uh, I want to ask you about is number three on your prospects list for the Cubs, and that is the the young, and I mean young shortstop prospect, the 18 year old Christian. Hernandez. Obviously, he's a little ways off, but why do you have him so high on your board? People within the Cubs organization and even outside of it considered him quite possibly the best prospect in last year's international signing class. Again, you look at the big shortstops out there who are athletic enough to play the position and, oh, by the way, hit for average and power. Um, people see that potential in him. You know, the, the guys who are headliners in the major league, the, the Carlos Correa's, the Fernando Tatis's of the world, the, the big, strong dudes who can stay at shortstop. Now, it's not fair to put that on a, an 18-year-old who's yet to play a game stateside. He's still very, very far away. But people see that potential. And I think when you just look at everything he can do and the impact that he could potentially make down the road, that's why he's so high. Um, at the same time, again, he has only played in the Dominican Summer League. He's going to make his stateside debut this year. We're still talking about his four or five years away, and a lot can change in that time, especially depending on how his body grows and develops. Um, but the base ingredients are there for him to be uh, an impactful power-hitting shortstop, which is pretty rare and pretty special. I actually want to circle back and ask you one more question about Pete Crow Armstrong and, and what he's been doing at Myrtle Beach. Is there? Do you think there's a pretty good chance that if Pete Crow keeps doing what he has been doing, that he kind of he gets promoted soon to the next levels of of the minor league system? I know Alcantara is probably a little ways away just because of his age, but well, I guess Pete Crow's not much older. But do you think that he he will get promoted eventually? Yeah, we typically see in a lot of cases the guys who go out in low A and just rake for about six weeks. The first promotions typically take place around mid-May, okay. sometimes late May. And I mean, look, he's hitting 410. Like, there's not a whole lot you can ask him to do more at Myrtle Beach right now. Um, even watching him when I was out there, uh, not last week, but the week before, it occurred to me that he seemed advanced for the level and probably ready for the next challenge, just given the quality of his at-bats, his pitch recognition, how polished his defense was. It's not like this is a guy getting by on raw ability. He's, he's a really mature, polished player for his age. So 
Um, but yeah, I think precedent tells us, you know, mid to late May is, is probably the earliest we see these guys get promoted, depending on injuries and what's happening above him. It's not totally in his control, but it wouldn't shock me to see him promoted very, very soon. Loving the information, Kyle. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on with us. And I'm sure that we will be reading you and be back in touch with you because the Cubs uh, are going to be dependent on some of these guys to get this thing back in motion. Yeah, anytime, guys. Happy to join you. All right, thank you so much. That's Kyle Glazer from Baseball America. To, writes a lot about the the MLB's top prospects. He's a national writer, so it's not just Cubs focus. But as you can hear, he is very locked in on on the Cubs. And just really quick before we go to break, I'll give you his his top ten Cubs prospects. He does have Brennan Davis as number one. He's got Seiya Suzuki down as number two. I think we could scratch that off because, you know, he's here and all. Number three, Christian Hernandez, the shortstop about whom we were just talking. Uh, four, the pitcher Braylon Marquez, who who has gotten a cup of coffee with the Cubs. Pete Crow Armstrong, the guy we talked a, a lot about, he the, the center field prospect, he is at number five. Jordan Wicks, left-handed pitcher, is his sixth guy. Number seven, Kevin Alcantara, the 19-year-old, part of the Rizzo deal, is the is number seven prospect. Caleb Killian, keep in circle that name right there. Caleb Killian could be up before any of these guys. 24-year-old righty for Iowa, 6'4", 180, part of the Chris Bryant deal in San Francisco. We'll keep an eye on him. We'll see if he comes up soon for the Cubs. Um, Owen Kasai is the number nine prospect and, uh, left-hander DJ hers is number 10 on, on the prospects list for baseball America and Kyle Glazer. And yeah, there there's, if you look at a lot of these lists, there's some guys, they're, they're all very similar. I think the one constant Ray is that Brennan Davis is at the, the top of that list. Although he has struggled, you know, upon promotion to triple a this year, I imagine he, like a lot of bats in the Midwest will eventually start to, to pick it up. Um, Yes. Brennan Day uh text her really quickly. Brennan Davis and Pete Crow Armstrong are both center fielders, correct? I I know Pete Crow Armstrong is. He's a pure center fielder. I am not positive on Brennan Davis, but he I will... plays uh he plays center field for Iowa, but he probably gets shifted to left or right when Crow Armstrong okay. comes up. Yeah, Pete Crow Armstrong will not be shifted. I mean he's he is like he his bread and butter is his defense uh, and it's a good thing that right. he's hitting though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A big plus. But yeah, he's probably already the Cubs best defensive outfielder. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And he like it, it's it's so important that he's hitting because I have seen again the name Albert Almora uttered and <laughs> right. to that. And that just like Albert Almora was a very good center fielder. He just couldn't hit. He couldn't hit. That that's really what it came down to for him. And we don't want to have that comp or that same type of player again. We are going to take a break right now. I'm Mark Grody. It's hit and run on Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score. That Javier Baez home run. Oh, James Taylor. Sorry. There I go again. 
talking over the Mary Sears music. I am God, Sean. I am so sorry. You know, James Taylor. It's okay. Uh, it's your show, man. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to make it. It's everybody's show. It's your mom's show, Mary. It's my mom's show, Gene. This is not my and that, and in fact, it's Matt Spiegel's show. It's it and that's run. That's true. That's true. <laughs> of Mark Grody on the score. But as I was saying, the that was the highlight. That was Len Casper on the call of the Javier Baez walk off game winning home run in the thirteenth inning on May eighth. 2016 and because the game went 13 innings in about five hours because that's how long those games were especially when they go 13 innings that actually ruined my mother's day because i couldn't go home because it got too late and i had things and my mom was more comfortable with me staying home in the city as opposed to going to the western suburbs so man yes I will. I will never forget that. And the flowers went bad. I had flowers in my car, oh, no. everything ready to go, and the flowers <laughs> went crispy on me. By the time I had done the post game show in 2016, and you know that was another hour and a half. So I get in the car, and the flowers had gone bad. The card was still good. The card was still fresh. Well, that's and there we, you go. Yeah, that's all that matters. But that was Mother's Day and very memorable for me. And then the other one that I had discussed earlier was my mom's admiration for Joe Madden and his positivity. And Joe Madden, upon me telling that to Joe about my mom saying that, Joe just said, moms are cool, man. Uh, I've always I've always liked that. <laughs> that's I, such I've a always cool... thought that, right? Isn't it? It's, it's so perfect from Joe. And it's just so true, right? It's like moms are cool, you know? Moms I mean, are cool. Yeah, there's nothing bad to say about moms. Um, Sean, do you have a Mom's Day story as it pertains to sports or not that you wanted to share with us? Yeah, yeah, I've got a, I've got two quick ones. So I, um, I, my mom and I went to. Do you remember that wild card game in 2018 where the Cubs played for like it was like a 13 inning funeral essentially against the Rockies? Yep, yep. <laughs> yep. I, uh, my mom just called me that day and was like, you know what? I want to watch the Cubs final game of the season. Let's go to the game. And so we just uh, decided to buy tickets, went to the game, showed up. I was stupid, didn't bring a jacket. My mom was freezing, so I bought her this big Cubs blanket. <laughs> and we <laughs> sat there and froze our butts off as we like watched this game. We knew the Cubs were going to lose. But oh, that's fantastic. It was a fun time. Um, the other time, my mom and I, we were walking around Wrigley during the World Series, and she swore war she saw theo epstein and she has the biggest crush on theo epstein she's like he's so cute he's out here she swore that he was like walking into one of the rooftops and it's like five ten minutes before first pitch of a game i was like theo epstein is not in the rooftop bars (laughs) probably not no i swear i saw him it was him maybe it was his brother so since then she anytime she walks down waveland or sheffield she's like well maybe we'll see theo epstein's cute brother and uh (laughs) Wow, she's really been uh, looking through the family tree here. Yeah, she's she'll. I, I think she'll take any Epstein, but uh, but she uh, she always thought Theo was cute. But yeah, I was like walking through, the, like arguing with her. I was like, Theo Epstein is not <laughs> in the rooftops. Stop it. He might be drunk in the bleachers with a fake mustache, yeah, but right? not not there. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. Oh, that's hilarious, man. Um, speaking of, this is not Mother's Day, but it it stimulated a thought that I had about Ryan Sandberg. You were talking about having to to buy the blanket at the Cubs game, which I'm sure, sure wasn't cheap. You probably had no. to spend like $75. I had to tell myself, I when I brought it home, I told my girlfriend, well, we can use this as a throw blanket. It's a giant <laughs> W wind flag Cub blanket. She's like, no, that's going to go in the closet. Right, right. Can I put up my, my rock posters too and this cool yeah. Lamborghini poster I have on? Yeah, you can't really do that anymore, Sean. But 
uh, Ryan Sandberg, who used to do some post games on the score that I used to do with him when I was doing pre and post game, he he once went to a to he was at a Cubs game, and this this was he was just in the stands and he was not prepared for the cold. Ryan Sandberg went to a Cubs store <laughs> at Wrigley Field and stood in line no and way. bought himself a big Cubs coat. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't, couldn't have comped Sandberg. You know, I mean, he, he probably could have pulled rank, and and maybe he did. Maybe they did comp. I don't remember the, the if they recognized him when he got up there. I just think it was hilarious that his first call wasn't to the front office to say, hey, Rhino here in my usual seat. Can I get, like, maybe a windbreaker or something, you know, take care of me. But no, you know, Ryan's a humble man. So he went to the to the Cubs gift shop, picked out a nice Cubs coat, waited in line, and and, and probably paid for his Cubs coat. Can you imagine so. standing behind Ryan Sandberg in a line <laughs> to, like, see him, like, purchasing Cubs merchandise? You're like, don't what you, are you yet, doing? Don't you have one of these? Like, didn't they give you one when you played here? You're kind of like, well, you were our best player in the 80s. <laughs> right. I would like to think that any player could probably, like, Nico Horner could probably get a free coat. No no questions asked, but this is, we're talking about 80s. HOF, Ryan Sandberg, right. one of the most popular Cubs players of all time. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, like I said, I don't know. Maybe he was comped. Maybe it's a great story, out. though. Yeah, or maybe Rhino didn't care. You know, just whipped out the plastic, bought it, and went back to the game. So You think Rhino's always... got American Express? <laughs> it, it's possible. Yeah, maybe he's maybe he's got a or Cubs company card. Wintrust, like, maybe that's their official bank, right? Yeah, it could be, could be. Yeah, he's got a Wintrust card or whatever. So maybe it was taken care of, and I'm sure that uh, since then it probably was comped in in some way, shape, or form. Um, I think is Chris still with us in Springfield? Chris in Springfield, he's been waiting, man. Chris, I'm sorry, but I know you called, tried to call earlier too. So what you got, man? Your dime, your dance got- floor. Yes. I got three comments and two questions. The comments are uh, Molina, even though we lost, he got his 1,000th RBI. And uh, Wainwright's on the 10-day COVID list. Oh. And uh, that match, he pitched so bad last night. That's what he was terrible. Uh, he'd been pitching good before, but he sure didn't oh, last who? night. Who? That Stephen Matz or whatever his oh, name is. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Matt's he was right. awful. Okay. Um, and uh, my two Sorry. questions are, with Vaughn, who did – what everyday player did they bring up two days ago when they said he was going to be out a week? And then oh, on your uh, – Mendick, Danny Mendick. So I got – I think okay. that's right, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then on uh, your closer – uh, who's the player to be named later you're supposed to get? Have you heard anything about that? Uh, no, I have not. That one I can't I mean, you're still supposed it. to get it, though, right? I mean, they haven't gotten it yet. You're talking about the, the Craig Kimbrell deal to the White Sox? No, 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 no. You're, the closer that the Cubs have right now. Oh, Dave Robertson? I, yeah, I actually, yeah. I, man, I'm not into that minutia. I, I don't know. I don't know. Because there's supposed to be a player to be named later they were supposed to get the Cubs work. And I just oh. wondered. Okay. Um, we'll we'll try to find out, Chris. Thank you so much for calling. Appreciate your, your patience and your question. I'm sorry about what's going on with the Cardinals. I, Wayne Wright, boy, Molina with his 1,000th. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad I was able to answer the Mendick question considering the – 
the two calls. But I I don't know, Sean. Do you have any idea uh, so the David Robertson business? I I think the Cubs signed him. Um, yeah, I think he was a free agent. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. I know there was like there was supposedly a player to be named later. I think in a deal the Cubs made this off season, but I, I think it was just settled in cash. I think the team just having gave nothing cash. to do with David Robertson, though, right? I don't think or... so. I don't think so. And I was trying to think like maybe Chris Martin, but they signed him too. So I, I the only guy I could think of was Cody Hoyer in that in that uh, Kimbrel deal. And I know there was supposed to be a player to be named later. One of the trades they made at the deadline last year, but I, I think it was settled in cash. I think they the Cubs okay. just took cash instead. All right, that's just, that's a little bit too much. All that, but yeah. I, I do. <laughs> you don't want to get into the minutia of, uh, of contracts. I love. I, I do love baseball minutia. Trust me, but like the player to be named later in some oh deal gosh. that I don't know about. I don't. What a, really what a care. like a classic baseball term, right? That doesn't mean anything anywhere else. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I do appreciate the call, Chris. I don't want to disparage you at all, and I and I love Springfield. So, thank you for the call. I want to give credit to a texter who earlier text that I sounded like Terry Bevington because the texture was right because I was when I was talking to Tony Andraki and I was trying to describe the the Jan Gomes controversial <laughs> replayed foul ball that landed foul. I said it was fair, and then I was saying it was foul, and it was foul, and I was just completely botching something that I, I actually watched and saw in real time. But I was thinking to myself, Sean, as I was doing that, I sound a lot like the former White Sox skipper Terry Bevington right now, and damn it, somebody else noticed it. So credit that's, to the t- That's really funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, wait a minute, because I, I felt when I was talking. I could tell from the way you are talking, like, he oh, knows that's not right. <laughs> yeah, like every word felt insecure that was coming out of my mouth. I said, well, he hit it fair, and then they reviewed it, and they said it was foul, and no, no, the, the call on the field was foul, and the reviewed play was foul, and really, it's it's pretty extraordinary that the that yacht, like, if it really truly was a foul ball and not just one of those plays where they couldn't overturn it because there wasn't enough evidence. That is the most perfectly placed random baseball of all time because, you know, as Tony and I were just discussing, there's only a few inches between the foul line and the the bleacher or the sidewall padding right there. So it had to have landed in one very specific spot. And per the re- replay reviews in New York, they they said it did. They said it did. So that was an extraordinary moment at Wrigley Field if that did indeed occur. Um, we need to take a break. We will come back and talk more about the Cubs and the White Sox. And we're open. We are open right now. The phone lines have been cleared. They are open for you at 312-644-6767. 67 has been very little time talking to you guys today because we've been so guest intensive. But 312-644-6767 is the number. I'm Mark Grody. It's Hit and Run on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Hit and Run on Sports Radio 670, The Score. Chicago Sports Station. And I don't know why they're needing the to look dead. at this. The ball is fouled. Chicago loses his challenge. Wow. How can that possibly be? After conferring with New York City with all of their video angles. Yeah, I, I mean, I trust in our replay guys. They're pretty thorough. Um, from the angle that's on the board, like everybody else, it looked like it hit the line and kicked. I'll definitely be trying to try to reach out to Major League Baseball and, and see what 
see what happened there. But um, I thought that was it looked pretty clear to me. Uh, I haven't watched the replay yet, but uh, what'd you see? Yeah, I was that was kind of was thinking in the dugout too. I don't know how much space down there there is. Um, you know, from what I saw, I just you know we, I just got some questions for sure. <laughs> I can talk over this. Okay. Welcome back into Hit and Run on Chicago Sports Radio 670. Score. I'm Mark Rohde in for Matt Spiegel here until noon. Then we've got CBS Radio noon to 5 o'clock today. And then it is our friend uh, Cody Decker doing down the line from 5 to 5.30. Cubs pregame with Zach Zabin starts at 5.35. Cubs and Dodgers tonight. Marcus Stroman against Walker Bueller. But you heard Pat and Ron discussing the the Jan Gomes foul ball call yesterday in the game where I don't know if there was just not enough evidence to overturn it. Obviously, David Ross still has some questions. The The complication comes because the foul line, between the foul line and the wall, just beyond first base and short right field, there's barely any room. So for it to be foul, it has to be totally and completely perfectly placed. And so that's why you heard Pat Hughes right. saying, how can that be? They were, so Pat and Ron were like so convinced that that was like a hit. They were already talking about how like it's a bummer that they called that foul because it could have easily been a triple. And then they call it and both Ron and Pat were just like, what? <laughs> Same thing on television. I mean, immediately. Immediately, it was Boog and Doug Glanville and JD. All of them are like, "Oh, this is going to be overturned. This is going to be overturned." Really, right. you know, nothing to discuss here. Almost, and uh, sure enough. So, and it would be nice. I think it was either Glanville or JD, Jim Deshays, that said, kind of, you know, almost parenthetically, "Hey, don't you have those microphones to explain what what we you know the reason? And can't they say?" There wasn't enough evidence to overturn it or just couldn't get the right camera angle or whatever the case. I mean, like, that that would be – I don't know if that's plausible, but I think that that would sort of satiate the fan fans sure. that really feel and even the broadcasters who – you were confused. Well, it doesn't help, too, that they've got two Jumbotrons there that are, like, showing everyone there. Like, hey, <laughs> yeah. look what happened. And every time they show it, it's the same cheer. Yeah! Yeah! It gets a little bit louder each time. And then the fans there assume it's going to be overturned. And nope, nope. It's a it's a foul ball. Jan Gomes, go sit on down. And I know that a lot of our, our texters have been – Saying that uh, three oh nine, no way that was a foul ball. Oh, brother! Yeah, it's hard to imagine how it possibly could have been. We're gonna get to a couple more of your calls here at three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. But something going on in the White Sox game. The White Sox are leading Boston three to nothing, top of the fourth inning, and the home plate umpire for this game, Ron Culpa, was injured. Uh, and I didn't. I have not been able to see the replay of how he was hurt. I saw the trainer come out and was treating him. He was standing up, and conscious, all that kind of stuff. But the injury is severe enough that he is right now apparently in the the locker room or backstage at the game, getting some sort of of treatment. So 
I, I will try to keep you abreast of what specifically is going on, but there is a delay in the game right now. Luckily for the, the broadcasters who happen to be Jason Benetti, Steve Stone, and, and Kevin Euclid, they're able, they're, they were right in the middle of doing the on-field player interview that they've been doing on a lot of national broadcasts, or at least I know on ESPN and then obviously on this NBC one. So they're able to kill time by talking to the, the outfielder right now that they're talking. And I'm actually seeing the replay right now. Okay, it was a foul ball that just just hits his, went straight back into the home plate umpire Ron Culpa's mask. So he got his he got his cage rattled. Literally. Yikes. Literally. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know what the treatment is for something like that though. I don't know. Are they giving maybe they're giving him the concussion test. That's that could very well be That's what's what going I would on. Think, right? Yeah. So I I I can't imagine it's anything else. I mean I don't have Break the, the smelling salts out. Yeah, or whatever whatever that test involves counting, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I, I as the Bears sideline reporter, I am always uh, around the, the little blue injury tent, but they always close the tent, so I never know what the heck's going on in there. Um, but it doesn't take long these days, at least in football, for a doctor to pull the plug on a player and say, nope, we're taking you into the locker room, and, and that's what's happened here with Ron Culpa, apparently. So there, this delay's been going on for a little while, and uh, I'll see if we, between Sean and I if we can discern if Ron Culpa does come out or else they're going to have to do a you know old-fashioned style umped game where they're going to be down an umpire as they obviously or you know what maybe they'll do maybe they'll bring in uh grobbers maybe they'll roll out grobbers robot maybe this is the day we're going to try the robots come on yeah (laughs) and see if the see if the robot will work uh so much for that in the meantime let's talk to george in river grove george you're on the score hello how are you today good george what's going on man well what's going on is the review of the appeal process that Major League Baseball has instituted is counterfeit. It's fraudulent, it's slanted, and it's prejudiced. Wow, why do you say that? Because everyone in New York that looks at the play, they know what the umpire called. And those umpires in New York, those are regular umpires. They rotate into that post the next day that I'm on the field somewhere. So you think they want to give the umpires the benefit of the doubt is what you're saying? Absolutely. They should... The way to fix that is when you look at the – when they show – they send the play to New York, okay, they cut the clip of the film, the video, right after the play and do not show what the umpire called, okay? Now, you make the call. It's either up or down. It's not, well, my buddy called it right this way, so I'm going to go with him because I don't want to piss him off because i got to work with him tomorrow, okay? Yeah, you, need well, okay. To call, you need to call it objectively. Make the call on your own. What you see, you make the call. You don't say, you don't have any uh, contributing factors as so you know exactly what was called. Right, George, George, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I, I do understand what you're saying. I understand. I do love a good conspiracy theory, but believe it or not, and, and I get it, like, umps don't want to be wrong. And so it sucks. So that it would benefit them to be right. But actually, in actuality, this is a pass for the umpires, too, because they also don't want to be the reason that a team wins or loses a game. So they also have the benefits of replay. 
that they don't want their play to be so of consequence that everybody is ripping the umpires and we get to know their names. Everybody knows Jim Joyce, right? So you don't want that to occur. And it's probably it's probably going to boost Angel Hernandez's Q rating. That the the <laughs> calls right. that he gets wrong will now be overturned, and people won't be as pissed at Angel Hernandez after a game. Right, and they, these guys want to just get it right when it comes down to it. Like I'm sure, like yeah, okay, maybe they don't want to piss off a buddy or whatever, but they're not going to put that guy's feelings ahead of getting something well, right. Well, they're not, and and I understand. Like it's kind of embarrassing for for anybody, like sure. for an umpire. You you're wrong. And now you have to tell 40,000 people, yep, we got the right. call wrong. And you've got a microphone to do it now. <laughs> yeah, but 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 actually, you got it right. And while you're going to be a little embarrassed for the moment, after the game, nobody's going to be talking about you. And you're going to be just fine. I will say this, my own little conspiracy theory, when, when replay first started, and even last year, and I'll, I haven't seen it this year, it does seem to take a lot longer in New York when they know that the play is going to be reversed. So they want to give the illusion that it's, it was a really close play and we got to look at a thousand different angles before we say our guy is wrong. I think that's plausible. Like that That's the only nod that they would give to their buddies to say, yeah, you know what, he, he screwed it up, but we're going to give the illusion that we're looking at this over and over and over and over and over and over again because there's so many times where, and I remember Len Casper used to talk when he was doing you know, Cubs TV that they would make a very subtle point out of it, like what in the world could possibly be taking so long? Right. Because you knew what the call was going to be, and then – we were all right, unlike yesterday, but it yeah, it's one of those things where I, I do think that that might have happened in in New York, where they would just give make, make them feel like it was closer than it actually was. Um, last thing too, the the Nico Horner thing. I know we talked about it a little bit earlier in the second inning when Horner hit the dribbler to short, wild throw by Trey Turner. The shortstop Horner thought it was an automatic base, so he just kind of lollygagged at the second. He was then tagged out by one of the Dodgers. The ball because the ball stayed in play, it bounced off the dugout. Now you got to be heads up if you're Nico Horner. However, where was Mike Napoli on that play? Cubs first base coach Napoli has to be much more aware and yelling and hollering and saying, "Get back here or run your ass off." to second base so that i i yeah horner's got to be aware but so did the first base coach mike napoli in that case it's been a fun show today thanks everybody for listening thanks to our guest Vinny duber of chgo talking socks tony andracchi of the marquee sports network kyle glazer with some great information at 11 o'clock this morning on all of the cubs top prospects we appreciate them appreciate all your calls all of your text messages they were great today sean sears does a wonderful job of producing this show hit and run and happy mother's day to all the moms out there my mom gene sean's mom mary happy mother's day and i hope it is a great day for everybody cbs next then it's cody decker then it's cubs and dodgers right here on chicago sports radio 670 the score
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 